1: Hello, everybody. Just after eight o'clock on the last Wednesday before Christmas. Coming up, a broadcast exclusive from the Portimao Hypercar test from Toyota last Friday. Chris Renke gives us a little bit more detail about Audi's plans, but we'll start with the latest manufacturer to nail their colours to the LMDH flagpole. Porsche Pascal Zerlinden, the man at the top of their sport, tells us why they got involved. I'm um, Looking back in January... Um
2: IMSA and LCO presented the first idea of the regulation. And from that point, we welcomed this development. And we were always positive about it. We worked on it, looked at other concepts, and to be honest, the possibility to be able to fight for overall victories with one type of car, which you develop one time, for all the big races like Daytona, Le Mans, and so on, this is really attractive. But at the end, look at the pictures we send out with uh, our press release. At the end, the car looks gorgeous, and really looking forward to it. And um, how does it fit to our overall strategy? Because some people are, are saying, "Yeah, you are in Formula E. Will you also leave Formula E?" But let's let's go one step back. If you look at um, the strategy, what we have in the, at Porsche Motorsport, it's always parallel to our road car strategy. On one side. You have con- conventional engines, which is covered on motorsport with our club sport segment, with our Cup car, brand new Cup car presented two weeks ago, our GT3R, our RSR. On the other side, you have one pillar for drivetrain, which is full electric, which we cover for Formula E. But you have also on the road car side some hybrid cars, Cayenne, Panameras, and we had nothing in motorsport, and LMDH is the perfect fit. So it's really a strategy to cover all three pillars, as we do in our road cars.
1: How did COVID affect this? Because it clearly influenced some of your decisions in the GT side of things that you and I talked about earlier on this year.
2: Again, if you look at um, at uh, all what is in, happening in the world of motorsport, you have really to say thank you to FIA or SEO and IMSA. Why? If you look, they have a regulation which they thought about before COVID came, because before the economical crisis of uh, which comes with COVID, and this is probably the only regulation in the motorsport world which which did not have to be changed to react on this economical crisis. Which means they were they were in front of everyone. They already did, did this understanding that. Cost efficiency is something really important for the manufacturer and for the sport we love so much.
1: 2023, actually, in development terms, it's not that far away. When will the big decisions have to be made, Pascal?
2: 2023 is coming really quickly, as you said. Um, What um, the next steps are, we will need to agree on a partner to work with, the spine partner, to know which chassis we'll get. And from there, when we have an agreement with one of them, then we have the delivery time. And from that point, we will, have to, we will be able to draw a timeline how to get ready for Daytona 2023. This is the first step we will need to do. Same, in parallel of this, we will work, how will we go racing? Because this is a question everyone is asking us, us at the moment. Will you have a work team, customer team?
1: To be honest, with these cars, everything is possible. Probably a mix of both. Let's see what's what's coming. How important is it then for Porsche, as a global brand, to be represented at the top class, both in IMSA and in ACO World Championship racing? Going
2: going to be able to run with one car in both championship is really appealing, and looking that you can even bring the, give the cars in hands of customers, and that so many brands are interested. So probably we'll go back to the glory days of endurance racing from the 90s, where Porsche was so successful and you could see a full grid of manufacturers but also from private
1: teams. And this would be a dream for all our fans. Is LMDH effectively then the potential to become the new 956 or 917 or or 962, Pascal? That's what we are speaking
2: about, definitely. This is the target. Having a global a global platform and being to able to see probably 's one time. I think there was nine Porsche in the top ten in Le Mans. Let's see if we can correct this at one point.
1: I can hear the smile <laughs> in your voice as you say that, Pascal. I know how much that I've got goosebumps talking uh, in those in those terms. A couple of things that strike me immediately in the top category. There are going to be still by 2023 a number of different ways of going racing. LMDH is going to be one of them uh, and that we understand because that is fairly fixed. But the LMH class has a number of different possibilities, hybrid, non-hybrid, different engine configurations uh, and regulations as well. How confident are you and Porsche that the equalization of technology or the balance of performance, call it what you will, will allow you to compete at the big races, whether it's Le Mans or it's uh, Sebring, the mobile One Twelve hours, or, or Daytona and the Rolex 24. Uh, we are we
2: are really confident and we are convinced that uh, all relevant mechanisms are worked on from ATO, FIA and IMSA all together as one group But also in an open way with all manufacturers. And we all want nobody who dominates. We all want that there is a fair fighting on the racetrack. So all working together, I'm sure we'll reach the goal. Because there also, we have two years' time.
1: I heard uh, a rumour, a story, that... In order for Porsche to be able to justify going racing in this category, there needed to be a certain amount of other manufacturers there. And one of the names that was mentioned was Ferrari, and that perhaps even you might have been trying to persuade Ferrari to come and race to, to make uh, help make the case for Porsche. Uh, is that true?
2: Again, we always like competition, and the competition between Maranello and Supernauzin is always... A really interesting one, and we really hope that they will that our announcement will give them some even more motivation to do the same
1: steps in the next
2: month.
1: Oh, that's an interesting answer, and thank you for being for for answering that question. Your sister brand within VAG Audi has uh, announced their program uh, as well. Did that have any bearing at all on on Porsche's decision?
2: To be honest, there was no, no direct link between our announcements and their announcements. I can only say, looking at, um, at uh, the feedbacks we got from the fans, they are really looking, everyone is looking forward to the great battles as we had in the 2014, 2015, 16, which were between Audi and Porsche. So, really looking forward to this.
1: Quite clearly, Pascal, it would make a lot of sense for Audi and Porsche to use the same spine, as you described it, the same same chassis, that might even allow one or two other shared components. Is is that being considered, or are both the projects at the moment completely firewalled and separate?
2: At the moment, we are unable
1: to comment on this point. In terms of the technical side of things... uh, You've mentioned the internal combustion engine. That clearly could give the car the DNA of Porsche, could give it the the character of that emotional combustion engine that, that the press release talked about. You've got quite a lot of engines to choose from. Is there going to be, as a BOP category, is there going to be any advantage to any of those? And does that matter which one you choose?
2: yeah it, it always matters a bit at the end it's, uh, you, it must be an emotional engine I have a link with the road cars, why not and also this makes also the engine a bit more cost effective, which is also a good an interesting point having customers in this series and um the last point is um we we have so many engines on our road car, as you mentioned, and
1: we just need to find the best fit this is the target. You're excited about this, Pascal, aren't you? I can I can actually hear it in your voice. Was this has to be a business decision for Porsche, and we understand that. But there's a genuine excitement here. For what I'm hearing from you.
2: When we left Le Mans uh, in 2017, again was like a small hole, and now being able to come back and uh, fight overall, not only in Le Mans but also winning probably races like Daytona, Sedring or the full championship overall in uh, in US. Again, it's um, it's really a dream and it's part of our DNA at Porsche. And the
1: full company is looking forward to this. And will this be a VISAC Porsche motorsport project that, that Porsche enthusiasts would would understand, Pascal? Or is this likely to be passed out to, to partner teams as, as sometimes things have been done in the past?
2: Uh, this is too early to answer this will be part of the evaluation we'll do how to go race in the next in the next uh, month but the development of the car will definitely be done uh, in at the earth of Porsche Motorsport
1: in Vaisa. as it stands right now this does not affect your GT program
2: yeah definitely we are fully committed for 2021 2022 looks also good and um uh, if you look at the number of GTE cars on the grid in Le Mans this year, was nearly 50% of the grid. And works cars, there were only six. So still 24 cars, which were run by private teams. As you know, we brought a brand new car for last season, which was the, is our RSR19, and we sold 10 of them. So I think that uh, GTE in general are still a future for minimum the next three years.
1: If there is a work team or, or not, this is another question. Of course.
2: But GTE will be
1: there. Does GTE have a, a medium and long-term future with this new category where the cars are meant to look a little more like their their road-going compatriots? Does it still have a future? It's so important to Porsche, clearly, with the
2: 911. I, I think GTE, if, if it's GTE or something else after the next three-year cycle, this is a question mark and will be a discussion between all manufacturers and organisations, but definitely we want to continue the history of the 911 as the racetrack, if it's at Le Mans, but all around the
1: world. Congratulations on producing an absolutely stunning GT3 Cup car on the 992 type body shape. My goodness me, that thing looks like, like a beast. So you're right in the middle of, of, of getting those orders fulfilled as well at the moment. This is a very busy time.
2: Then uh, we had a really busy and positive time at the, at the end of the season now, after a difficult year, presenting the first at night of champion, our brand new 911 cup car, which will run also in U.S. with a new brand new Carrera Cup. And, um, And at the same time, two weeks later, the LMDH. So, really, I think uh, this year, Christmas at Porsche
1: Motorsports is uh, quite early. When would you like to get a car out and testing as we said 2023 is a long it's not a long time away some big decisions to be made but you'll be back timing it because I know this is what you do you're back timing it from that first race at the Rolex 24 Daytona in January 2023 so have you got an idea of of when the car might be out on the track even if it's it testing in private
2: it's not finalized yet. This we will be able to answer as soon as we know who, which uh, chassis partner we will have. This well, uh, at that time we will be able to give you more details.
1: Pascal Zulinden, thank you so much for being with us. It's great news for all fans of sports car racing. And have a great Christmas and New Year, such as you can with all the the race prep that you've got to do. Yes,
2: yeah, same same to everyone. And looking forward to see all of you. At the racetrack soon, probably in Daytona for the US part.
1: Pascal Zerlinden on this special midweek motorsport prototype panel. What about Audi then, their sister brand? Here's Chris Renke, the man at the top of their customer racing programme. Why is now the right time for Audi to get involved?
3: It, various reasons. Um, it is something achievable also for customers. So in the past, when we went to Le Mans, was obviously... Um, exclusive for factory racing because it was uh, high-end technology, drove us uh, in these successes. Uh, Now with the new formula, it obviously gives a relief to uh, the budget that we have to invest from the OEM side. At the same time, it makes it possible uh, for our valued customer to live this dream on their behalf, as we have a great experience in customer racing, um, supplying uh, those machines to people uh, who want to live their dream and participate themselves a little more?
1: Opportunity for a works team as well, though, Chris. And, and is it likely the works team will will debut the cars before they're rolled out to customers? Well,
3: the, the rollout strategy hasn't been defined yet, and it's too early um, to, to, to comment on that. How specifically we will do? For sure, we will have um, a thoroughly uh, developed machine once it becomes available. And for sure, we will have, you know, the big events supported with strategic entries, works team, you call them, to really to be defined. Uh, What is important, I think, that the LMPH regulations and our commitment gives us the possibility to spread over the full range, as you say, you know, for people who just want to go out Mm. and enjoy in maybe resort racing or wherever, access to a sports car prototype, but also for those who might be able to um, supply factory racing involvement
1: uh, in Le Mans. As it stands at the moment, Chris, the the regulations for LMDH uh, include some uh, common parts between any manufacturer that comes in, including the the mild hybrid system. How do you guys make this distinctively Audi? Obviously, the bodywork, we know that. But how? With Vorsprung turk Technique, forward through technology. How do you make this car
3: distinctively Audi? You just mentioned probably the two components, uh, which won't be 100% distinctive to Audi because it is the Chassis and the hybrid. But I think everything else, there is enough, as you say, the appearance of the car, um, obviously uh, knowledge and um, expertise in aerodynamics. Um, and, and uh, obviously the the combustion engine that will drive the car, all of that, I think, are a lot of areas where you can, you know, make uh, the whole car in an Audi and therefore, you know, give it the DNA that Audi uh, goes racing in Le Mans.
1: And on on that, I know that you guys have been looking at this for a wee while now. Still decisions to be made, but is that likely to be a bespoke racing engine, or would it be a development? of a a street car, a road car engine?
3: I think for the moment we are excited and have worked long uh, on the situation where we are now, that we could confirm that we want to participate, that that we have Audi behind this project uh, and that uh, milestone was an essential one uh, to reach before end of year. Now we are obviously in-depth in concept work. What makes most sense for all's perspective? for the wide range to enter this car, as we explained and discussed before. Um, And I think uh, conceptual details are due to be confirmed at a later stage.
1: In terms of the group, of course, we now know that a a doughty competitor of yours, Porsche, also part of the same group, will be involved. Is there enough freedom... Uh, within those regulations, for you and your colleagues over at Porsche, to provide something different, or is it likely that there may be some commonality in uh, even in the things that are free, like an internal combustion engine, for example?
3: Well, look at which is obviously commonly known. Uh, let's take a comparison in the GT3 entry list. There is obviously a Lambo derivative as well as the R8 Racing. Those run on a V10 engine. By any means, aren't those two completely different components who go racing there? And I think it is very efficient and a great possibility by these regulations that we will approach it in a similar way, that we um, are different where it matters, where we want to run our identity, our DNA, and that we join forces uh, where it's not necessarily necessary.
1: LMDH, a part of a huge initiative between IMSA and the ACO, There was another option, Chris. Uh, That is what people are still calling hypercar. Why is LMDH the right way for Audi to go uh, and not the hypercar route?
3: We discussed how wide the field of possibilities is to enter it for gentlemen privateers up the full factory support around the world. We have one formula that can be entered in IMSA, in WEC, in you know, I, I guess Asian Le Mans eventually, and so on. Um, so I think the width of possibilities um, drove that decision, uh, and especially from the customer racing point of view. I say we support anything that is a worldwide formula that we have the possibility to do a volume to give to hand over the, the dream and to participate in the races to customers. And therefore, the key really is um, the more platforms adopt to the regulations the more likely or the more tempting it was us uh, to confirm uh, to that formula in the end it was uh, LMDH.
1: that ability to go racing on a global scale and particularly take in some of those great blue band races in the IMSA uh, in the IMSA schedule that clearly has been one of the major deciding factors here
3: Chris absolutely worldwide calendar is the formula you know that adopts Um, into these various race series and it is approachable for um, privateers to to, to get into it. It's not just, uh, you know, the experiential bit uh, of this formula, um, I think, also drove the decision.
1: The the other two strands of the announcement, and we celebrate massively the endurance side of this, Formula E... Uh, Audi, Audi's works component will, will fall away. What happens to that? Will that be taken on potentially by customers or is that still to be decided?
3: Correct. That's the status as per now. I think we, once again, we're, we're clear to the outside and make clear um, that we um, prefer in the future um, to run different formulas uh, than Formula E. And at the moment, it's investigation if uh, somebody... Uh, want to pick up where we will leave it uh, and want to continue to run.
1: The other thing, and, and one or two people listening to this might uh, be surprised when I say this, I'm actually just as excited about the other part of the competition announcement which is going to do the rally raid the dakar rally with an electric vehicle with a range extending tfsi engine chris absolutely extraordinary and and surely exactly what motorsport should be doing challenging people's perceptions of electric vehicles
3: and there you already exactly described what the motivation was before. When we said endurance racing is, is, is part of our history, it's is part of our DNA, and with the LMBH formula, we make it experienceable for, for customers. Um, on the Dakar we use the opportunity to, to, to go the Audi way, yeah? to question technology um, and therefore drive it forward, um, think new ways, yeah? which we used to do in Le Mans, uh, where we say, no, this Le Mans, we position different for the future. We want to do now in Dakar. What is our vision um, for future mobility? What kind of technologies will be involved? Um, and let's prove that concept, that vision in a concept that we first uh, take on one of the roughest ground to be proven, and that to Dakar.
1: We'll finish off with LMDH 2023. That's not that far away, particularly not in development terms. We're staring at 2021 already. How quickly do you guys need to get
3: onto this? Well, we are on it already. And uh, <laughs> believe me, this whole transition, which has been now kind of brought into public, but obviously we have, you know, a great amount of designers and conceptual people who have done DTM, who are doing still uh, Formula E, they will be transferred now Um a lot of them are already working on the Dakar Challenger, uh, and the others will uh, then move on to um, the, uh, to 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 brain out the uh, LMDH car. So that transition phase is on the way. The people are working on the concept, and be sure uh, there will be uh, the lights won't go off too often out here in Neuburg. <laughs>
1: Are you excited by this, Chris? It's a new challenge for, for everybody in recent times, particularly at Audi Sport, customer racing. And, and how will it affect the very successful uh, R8 GT3 customer programme?
3: Well, first of all, we are, we are not just excited. I think we are also privileged in these days that we get this great commitment uh, from Audi to their DNA um, uh, of, of motorsport, of, um, of performance-orientation. Um, And as we just went through, you know, Dakar, that we can really go with innovative technology and and prove it's not just different, it's better, uh, the concept that we have. Um, To go back to Le Mans, I mean, uh, well, I couldn't couldn't be happier about it. And at the same time, you know, there's a great commitment into customer racing uh, that we can continue uh, our path as well to having our our worldwide operation um, strengthened uh, with new models, uh, which are about to come and obviously also uh, in the GT3 world at the moment we, we hope and at the moment see a movement with the customer which obviously um, have everything have been slowed down by the COVID but also the comeback um, does start at the moment we have a lot of cars uh, going out a lot of teams who are excited to prepare for next season uh, and we see a very very positive impact all around the world and are happy that at the end you know um yeah excitement right left center
1: chris thank you very much for being with us thank you to you
3: as well looking forward to see you john all the best
1: chris renke head of audi sport customer racing still to come on this midweek motorsport prototype panel editor of race car engineering andrew cotton he's listening in and he'll be passing comments on what we're hearing tonight as well as giving us some more information i hope but now to portimao where last friday toyota gazoo racing were testing their hypercar. I couldn't contain my excitement when I was talking to Alex Wirtz. The car was on the circuit.
4: Your voice can be equally excited as mine and as everyone else's who loves this type of racing because we have uh, new manufacturers joining. And they're joining for a right reason. We have an amazing uh, rule set. Now you heard the car in the background. Uh, So yes, we are in a test and we are testing our new hypercar. And... um, That's all I want to disclose on the testing front, to be honest. But the excitement I can disclose and discuss with you, because manufacturers joining, Le Mans as a center race, World Championship, Um, amazing looking cars coming in, still looking like prototypes, but more relating to the car, uh, to the road car versions in terms of their looks and and also feel and sound. And this is, it sounds just heaven to me, and um, for a sports car enthusiast. I think we are entering an era of sports car racing which might be its biggest as it has been.
1: All right. We are not going to give away any technical secrets, Alex. Of course, of course you aren't. Um, But the the pictures we saw of the road-going version at Le Mans uh, were very exciting. Uh, The pictures we've seen, the spy pictures from Portimao that have found their way out – the back end of the car, in particular, looks very much like the TSO o fifty in the in the aero side of things. Is that the final version of the car, or are you playing games with us and the people taking photographs
4: no we 're not playing games with photographs and, and anything. We are just doing a very thorough uh, process of testing and running through everything, um, and uh, the car is looking significantly different to the prototype of the road-going version you have seen in Le Mans uh, displayed in public. So you're right. If you look very quickly, I think it's not a secret. The cars are looking very similar uh, in its shape, which is just classic sports car shape, um, LMP shape from the last few years. But then if you are more a technical person and you look in detail, it's of course a complete different concept of car. And there is actually almost... I think there's not one screw, one part the same from the LMP car to the hypercar. car. Um, but they have this uh, very uh, nice, sleek look of just flat-looking prototype machines. But those ones will be road-going versions made be able to race. And this is the beauty of this new rule set. And it seems to attract, not only seems, it definitely attracts manufacturer to use this as a platform, to promote technology, to promote their brand, and in our case, that's why we never left, because it's the proving ground for our hybrid system, which ultimately should benefit the user of every Toyota and Lexus driver.
1: It used to be the case, and it may still be so, so tell me, that I think uniquely in our sport, uh, Toyota's, uh, Gazoo Racing's, Endurance Racing budget... uh, isn't from marketing. It, it comes from road car R&D. Is, is that still the case?
4: Yes, uh, you're right. Uh, I'm always surprised how well you informed you are, but you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's R&D because it is absolutely relevant. And if you look at each and every interview, our leader, Akio Toyota, uh, gives for him, it is fundamental that uh, uh, we are involved in racing to better the product for the everyday Toyota user. And it's happening. We have the cross-connection on the engineering fronts and our processing, our batteries, our recovery, the lightweight construction, the um, reliability we need in, in endurance racing, it's all going to benefit the road car. So it is a really beautiful program going both ways.
1: In terms of the new regulations, uh, there are two distinctly different paths that a manufacturer or a race team can take. There is the path that Toyota's gone down, which is called LMH, which everybody called hypercar from the start. And I understand the whole class is going to be called hypercar, possibly rather confusingly in the future. Um, that gives you the opportunity as Toyota, as a manufacturer, to do some very clever things with technology and take on the concepts that you had in the various versions of the ts 50 LMDH, there are uh, there's a lot less technology, a lot less development, and, and some spec parts, uh, and, and using, of course, the LMP2 standard chassis. Why was LMH the right way to go for Toyota? And does that give you a benefit do you guys believe at Toyota Gazoo Racing on the racing side as well as the technology side?
4: So we are in um, the hypercar category, the LMH category. Uh, That's that's right. And it definitely gives us the platform to continue the rigorous development to benefit the everyday Toyota user, the road car industry. This is why we're there from the outset. And we are very happy that uh, uh, the WSE FAA, uh, ACO gives us this platform, which we seek. Uh, and you're right; there are other ways you can go into LNDH, which is uh, more that on uh, prototype with hybrid systems. Even there, the technology is uh, interesting, but it's less sophisticated, mm-hmm. and it's maybe less suitable to our overriding and overarching target of this engineering exercise and seeking excellence through racing for road car industry. Uh, and we respect and we support that there will be a balance of performance. Yes. And the rule makers trying to merge those two categories together to have a sporting playground which is equal for all of us that will need some adjustment here and there and it will fluctuate from racetrack to racetrack. Um But I think in the GT categories, that was handled very well and it will be also handled uh, very well here. It's a job that I
1: suspect neither you or I would really like to have, trying to make that that balance. (laughs) I've been browsing through the specifications of Peugeot's Challenger and uh, it's mind-blowing the amount of technology and the clever things that they're doing. How easy or difficult is it going to be for me and other enthusiasts to follow and and know what's going on then with all this different technology? Are we going back to the areas of the first uh, LMP1 hybrids where there is going to be some different technologies that we're going to have to get our heads around, Alex? And, And of course, you were involved then as well with three distinctively different solutions to the same problem of go fast for a very long time.
4: Yeah, and I think here is actually the beauty of these rules that if you are such a petrol or let's call it energy head, very good, very good, yeah, and you want to go into these details, yes, there will be difference, and it will play out into the race strategy, into the setup, into the driving styles. That will unfold like this, but you can also just sit back, relax, take your popcorn, take your drink, whatever you want, and watch the race unfolding with overtaking, with strong battles, with uh, man and machine against 24 hours or six or eight hours, whatever race you might watch. You can be involved into whatever detail you prefer, into the really hardcore, hardcore final technical detail, or you can just be entertained the amazing sport and very authentic sport unfolding in front of you, so I think it gives the opportunity for every fan out there to engage to the level he feels comfortable engaging.
1: What, if anything, can you can you tell us about the program going forward? So the rollouts happened. This is your first proper test. Let's say where you're doing some evaluation work. Clearly, the specification of the car is set now and and now it's all about development and and, and learning the systems?
4: Yes, absolutely. So the big picture, the the spec of the car is set. Uh, We know in which category we are. We know how we want to use our drivetrain, the electrification. Everything is set and now we are starting the optimization process. That means um, testing, going back See, seeing okay what's the weakest link in our package trying to improve it is it tires is it mechanical is it aero is it drive train related uh, and so on and so forth so we are already in the optimization phase that's something which is absolutely my home territory it's the home territory of the engineers and the drivers and that's where we are
1: and when are we likely to to get a full specification sheet for for the car in terms of the internal combustion engine and and some of the other the details, when are they likely to come out officially? Shall we say, from Toyota Gazoo Racing?
4: Uh, I can't answer when officially. My gut feeling is as late as possible because <laughs> we don't want to share any of our Spare specs pod. or specifications because your show is always listened by the competitors as well.
1: There's not an awful long time though, Alex, before the car's got to be on the track. <laughs> but that said, you are going to be on the track and competing before the vast majority of your competitors they're aiming at 2023 uh, particularly the 100th anniversary of Le Mans I think is going to be a a really big occasion getting out there first is that an advantage or not because if you are out there first okay you can develop but it also shows your package if you see what I'm saying to, to what everybody else is doing and they might be able to make last minute changes
4: Okay. So I will not laugh now about showing you second. <laughs> so, but, um, it's, it's both. I, I think the results in 23, 24 will tell you if it's an advantage or disadvantage because in engineering terms, it's better to stay on the drawing board in CFD in the wind tunnel mm-hmm. and bring everything as late as possible. There's also an advantage to be out early and optimize reliability. Um, drivability, et cetera. Um, so honestly, um, in our case, we don't have to answer these questions because we always committed to the WEC even when others uh, left. Unfortunately, I know they had different circumstances. Our boss said, we are there. We are there for the better of our Toyota users and we will use this platform. So anyway, we, we don't want to hide, but we are not sharing the information right now on this show. We will do it as late as possible. And that's just a uh, normal name of the game, I guess.
1: And, and from what we've heard from everyone in the team, in terms of the, the strategy, FIAWEC, uh, Toyota Gazoo Racing, that is going to be the priority. Le Mans right in the middle of that in a normal year, whatever a normal year gets to, to look like. But the opportunity clearly is there to do other races with this convergence of, of prototype at the very highest level. Oh, there's the car going past again. Um I've been running a watch just in case we can get some lap times. Um, The opportunity is there to do something a little bit different. Have those opportunities been looked at and being assessed, Alex?
4: Yes, and they are assessed as we speak, but uh, they are a little bit, um, let's say, fluid um, between all of us, between uh, the American continent and Europe. Um, And I hope the merger of the series uh, is that we can plug-in and play in the States or all around the world uh, in whatever this format will bring. And I think the merger is beautiful. It's a very exciting opportunity. Uh, And for you and me, as just real uh, sports car enthusiasts, we can only dream of this uh, merger that we can go everywhere and race and we will do so against a lot of different manufacturers and teams around the world.
1: I Echo that, of course I do. And one of the things that this rule set, or these rule sets, because let's be honest, there are several different ways to do it, as we've mentioned. One of the things that that allows for, uh, particularly with LMDH, is customer cars. And I think all the manufacturers in LMDH are looking at it from a customer's uh, point of view, an independent team's point of view. Does that same opportunity exist within LMH, and particularly for... Toyota and the new car?
4: Um, Can't really answer it. As a fan of the sport, I would hope so. I would think so. I think we are looking into budgets which are feasible. Maybe not in the first one, two years when the manufacturers have to understand the full impact and see the big picture. But then soon thereafter, I would think potentially, I would be hopeful, if that's feasible, honestly, Can't really answer that uh, now. Uh,
1: uh, Coming up to the Christmas break, uh, hopefully everyone will get a little bit of time to get back home to to families. That's always very important. Are Toyota Kazoo Racing happy with the development so far and where you find yourself? There's clearly still a lot of work to go before we see that car uh, compete. Have not got a name for the car yet, by the way? That's another thing I should have asked.
4: Uh, no, I was happy. You're not asking. It's uh, <laughs> you have to wait with this one.
1: Okay, fine. Uh, are, are the team uh, um, are the team happy with where you are in the development skill at the moment? Because these early days sometimes are so so important to 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 understand uh, what the situation is.
4: Well, happy is a big word, um, and it's a new rule set. So we have not much reference uh, of the competition. So we just have to go by our simulation. But yes, at the moment we are uh, happy, but we are eager and we are doing our own target setting to ever constantly and ongoingly trying to improve. And imagine what the competition will be. But imagination uh, also is, has no space in the engineering world and you can hear in the background the car is going and going and that's what we're after is this little steps now of improving each and every day. uh, And we will do so no matter what. Uh,
1: On on that then, and I'm I'm not asking for numbers here at all, but as a concept, do you then look at the Sims and the Sims sets up a target optimal lap time whether it's at Portimao or, or or Le Mans for the 24 hours and then you balance yourself you you gauge yourself against against that as you, you're going on as I say I don't want to know what the times are but is, is that the kind of, of thinking and progression that you guys have to do because as you say there's nothing else to judge yourself against at the moment in terms of competition Oh
4: no, absolutely and this is the process so you are simulating you are making assessments also of what Um, lap time and performance other cars can extract into other rule sets and then you know okay in Portimao maybe you have to do a 1 minute 40 and in Le Mans a a 3 minute uh, 29 or whatever it might be I don't know to be honest I really really don't know I just pick these numbers randomly Um, and you have to then just measure against yourself of course, there's also the driver feedback, the drivability, the reliability. Um, so it's multiple factors you're always chasing and putting new targets. But as long as we're not competing, this is a virtual target, uh, to be honest.
1: Just hearing the car go past there for, uh, for another time. It's not a screaming engine, that. It doesn't seem to be uh, necessarily working, working that hard, uh, but it's, a, it's got a nice resonance to it. I like the sound of that car.
4: Well, but how would you know behind which um, sound protection I'm sitting? Fair. Maybe it's all all fake. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a little speaker in the corner of the room, and you're actually feeding a, a, a GR Supra going round and round and round just to throw me off. Is that what you're seeing?
4: <laughs> well, maybe now I'm laughing, but uh, no, it is the real car. It's going, and um, um, it, I, I, I like the sound. It's, it's the sound which I. I envision Le Mans sitting there hmm. in the Bosch corners with the fans, having a barbecue and seeing those machines flying by. That, that's the sound I, I envision myself.
1: Hmm. Can't wait for it to all happen. Uh, best wishes for the holiday period to you, to Julia, uh, the boys, and indeed all the team at Toyota Gazoo Racing. Alex, thanks for joining us. I know how busy it is at this time of year. And thank Alistair and everybody uh, for putting this together at sh- such short notice. That's very kind of you.
4: No, thanks, John, and thanks to all your listeners, uh, and thanks for supporting the sports car movement. Let's call it like this, and Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year and a healthy New Year. That's uh, most important.
1: Thanks to Alex Vert uh, for that. From Portimao on Friday, and your first opportunity to hear, I think, not one, but two Toyota, whatever they're going to be called. Um, my money's on TSO. Sixties um, going around import him out now joining me now or at least should I say we can talk to him now the uh, editor of race car engineering Andrew cotton's been listening uh, to this uh, midweek motorsport presents the prototype panel show uh, first of all, thank you uh, sounds like you're driving home for Christmas is that right <laughs>
0: Uh, oh, yeah, I've got Chris Ray going in
1: with my head. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, interesting comments from all the manufacturers represented there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about each one. And also, obviously, we didn't hear from Persia, or we haven't heard from Glickenhaus or, or Bycolis. I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions about those as well. But if we take Porsche first, because that's where we started, that's the latest car company to throw their hat in the ring of LM. D.H. Um, first of all, a slightly cheeky comment from me to Pascal about whether he'd been speaking to Ferrari to help strengthen his hand with the Porsche uh, board. Well, he didn't deny it, Andrew. And, you know, whether or not we believe it is Ferrari, th- there are plenty of other people, quite clearly, who want to be involved in LMDH.
0: Well, I think it's a cost-effective way of getting a massive return for your money. Um, you put in a small amount of money, get buy a car that has already been sorted, developed, fixed for... I think it's five years, isn't it? Um, And then you you have to put your engine and your aero on top and you can go racing for victories at Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans, uh, Petit Le Mans, all the great races. Um, I don't see why you wouldn't do it, really. It's uh, it's a lot of bang for your buck. So, you know, the the opportunity for Porsche and Ferrari to come back to uh, top-line racing... Uh, it was obviously too good to be true. Um, and they, they've gone for it.
1: And you and I have talked about perhaps a return to the golden age of privateer racing in the top flight of endurance racing in the past. But to hear the man at the head of the Porsche programme um, talking about 9.17s, nine fifty six, 9.62s and what that would mean for those guys to get back, you know, The year, as he mentioned there, the year that nine out of the top ten prototypes were were Porsches. That's tremendously exciting for all of us. Well, it
0: is, and it it gives the the smaller teams a chance to come back to racing. You know, the manufacturer teams are great um, in terms of exposure and in terms of global uh, recognition for you know the joy that is endurance racing. But for the uh, the privateer teams, this is a fantastic opportunity to get in with front running. Manufacturers to be able to put the Porsche badge or the Ferrari badge or whatever on your on your um, on the side of your truck and and you go racing for, with this brand, um, I think it's great. And we'll, let's wait and see who comes into LMP2 next year because I'm sure that there's going to be a few of the top teams that will come back. Uh, I'm thinking of a German one beginning with Jay that uh, could well come back. And and you know why would you not do it? You get yourself back into the uh, WEC family and take yes. on. Uh, a, a manufacturer program.
1: Yeah, look what Alpine's doing uh, as well. As far as the two VAG brands that have declared already, and there may be yet more. We we don't know. Um, we could speculate, but we probably haven't got time for for that. Distinctively different answers to the question: Are you going to be sharing bits? Uh, Chris Renke from Audi. The, the the, uh, using the example of the GT3, engine and gearbox, distinctively different in the Lamborghini and the R8. Uh, whereas uh, Pascal Solinden saying, you know, no, 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 no. We'll be doing our own thing. We have a Porsche DNA. Yes, they're likely to share a chassis. Of course they are, maybe some ancillaries. But motive power units, do you believe they'll be different? The ICE, the internal combustion engine for the four rings and the Stuttgart Shields?
0: I think they'd be totally different. Why would you run the same thing? Um, if you, Whatever you've got to, to do, uh, you're, you're going to do it. And actually, it's not about a technology race now. Um, you know, this is more about brand recognition. Uh, IMSA has built a fantastic uh, platform on which manufacturers can race for not a lot of money, uh, get a huge amount of exposure. So you're going to go relatively cheap. It's performance-balanced racing as well, don't forget. So you're going to be looking for the small... Uh, looks and crannies for that little bit of lap time but it is a performance balanced thing and and you just need to put something that looks good, sounds good on the racetrack.
1: Does that suggest to you Andrew uh, that it's unlikely to be a development of a street car engine? Both both Porsche and Audi have got, actually they've got a number of uh, current or past racing engines, bespoke racing engines that they could call on.
0: Well you can. Um, you have to run with a fuel flow meter, which, is, uh, which requires a little bit of tinkering with the engine, but the rest of it, um, it's all not exactly immaterial. Uh, you know, fuel consumption always plays a part in it. Uh, Torque delivery always plays a part in it. Um, but the performance balancing is the bit that's going to uh, drive most of the decisions, and they must already have a very good idea of what's going on there. Um, the FIA haven't exactly been open about it yet, but they, they promised me that they will be. Um, <clears throat> but you can run for, you're going to go for a cheaper option than, um, than you might otherwise have, have considered when you're looking at the LMP1 era. And if you've got something in your uh, workshop that's <laughs> already competitive, why would you do anything different? Why would you go out and spend the money when it's not necessary don't forget we're in completely different times of racing yes this is customer racing and you're going to run what makes sense for you which is minimal outlay maximum return
1: so we should be looking at the back catalogs then perhaps of of audi potentially uh, even in uh, different championships and the same with porsche as i say they've got a wealth to to choose from on that toyota have gone the different route Uh, lm H, hypercar, uh, so not the IMSA DPI 2.0 concept as, as we've been calling it for, for, for some time Alex very uh, careful and I thought rightly so, not to say one was any better than the other but the way they've gone suits the technology drive pun absolutely intended there of Toyota and Toyota Gazoo racing, they will have that advantage of being out there first but I thought that was an interesting point he made about, oh, you know it gives everybody else a chance to, to see what we're doing and they can benchmark against them where Toyota can't benchmark against anybody right now other than their simulations as he said
0: well yeah I mean it's whenever you put a car on track you're going to find problems and the, more, the longer you run the more problems you're going to find and be able to solve so that by the time you go racing you're going to be up there and ready so I'm not sure that that really holds true the, the earlier you go the more Uh, you're going to be able to achieve, and the the more reliable or the the more performance you're going to be Mm. able to extract from the car. So, yes, the others could copy, but that's only assuming that their technology is going to be a very similar architecture or concept to Toyota. If it's not, then you don't stand a chance. Mm. Um, You know, there's bits and pieces that you could learn, yes, but I think... um, going early is going to be an advantage for toyota um they're going to put miles on the car they already know what works what doesn't they know the characteristics of the car they've tested the car on the tires uh don't forget that you know you you have to tune your car to work with the tires as best you can and and so the more miles you put on it uh the better off you're going to be so yes peugeot is going to come a year later they can afford to start testing a year later but i'm not 100 percent sure how much they're going to learn from the Toyota um, track running, <clears throat> you know, particularly uh, in race conditions that they wouldn't already know from spy shots and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, that's uh, true. And, and the spy shots in particular,ly suggest to me, Andrew, that quite, um, OK, maybe not the technology, meaning not every nut and bolt, as, as uh, Alex said, but the back end of that car has a very TS050 look about it. But in all honesty, why wouldn't it? That, that makes sense. Um, but you, you mentioned Peugeot there. Uh, they were the, uh, they've let a little more detail come out about what to me is an extraordinary specification um, that they have been prepared to talk about optimizing every single area to make sure they've got right on the limit of power in whether it's full ICE, whether it's part ICE, part hybrid, whether it's more hybrids uh, once you get over uh, the, the the threshold of a four-wheel drive. It sounds very complicated. It sounds very expensive. And my first thought is, oh, my goodness, how are we going to police that in the, when they're out on the track? How do you know how, how much is producing Which part is producing how much power? It's very clever, though. Well, they've got enough... It's very clever, but uh, this was the reason why
0: we were so sceptical about LMH in the first place. Whatever the target price was, the manufacturers can easily beat it, and they know exactly how to do it. So, uh, I don't think that it's... They were ever realistic targets, and that's why IMSA pursued their DPI 2.0, now LMDH, regulations so uh, vigorously... They could see, we could see, that what they were talking about was probably not going to make financial sense for a lot of manufacturers. Um, being able to extract the last bit of performance out of a car, well, it's a racing car, that's kind of what it's there for. Um, and they all sit in the technical working group meetings together and they thrash out all of these um, all of these decisions. And, and the others will have an idea of what they have decided and built and what they're planning to do. Um, so... I don't think any of it is going to come as a particular surprise uh, but and the FIA will also be sitting in there and they'll also be scratching their heads and trying to figure out how to fix this. But it, there's no doubt about it. This is going to be expensive to develop, expensive to run and expensive to police. So all in all, LMDH again has proven to be the more cost effective route.
1: And likely to provide more cars at the end of the day with the opportunity for customer cars. Uh, we, haven't, we, we haven't mentioned House or Bycolis. We're not sure what Bycolis are doing, but they keep telling us there will be something. Alpine, well, it looks like they're setting themselves up. But Glickenhaus, they've been there from the start as well. Toyota never left the WEC and credit to them for that. They announced early, but so did Glickenhaus. Uh, And they're well down the line. They've been very good on their social media at posting things like tubs and things like that where does a manufacturer like that fit in the mix given that they have chosen lmh which seems to be where all the technology and all the money is going
0: well they want to uh, race they're, they're the primary driver in racing in in america as well as in europe uh, jim is the one who desperately wants to take his car over to race in america and and it's kind of uh, been beating that drum for quite a long time um He has said that he's built, developed and built a car for for a fraction of the cost of the Toyota and the Peugeot. He is going to rely on balance of performance to get him up there. All he needs to do is produce a a car that operates in the performance windows that have been specified by the FIA and allow the balancing of performance to do the rest of it. Um, He also has more than one car on the grid. He's looking to split the cost among several customer teams. He's gone early saying that he's going to do customer versions of his LMH car and is the only one to have done so. So it's going to be interesting to see if the balance of performance is going to be able to allow him to be as competitive as he wishes. Um, And I think by regulation, it has to be. Mm. So you can't write that off. It's going to be great fun to see somebody like him coming up and producing a car, sending it out onto the track, I think it's brilliant for the championship that we have, Jim, there.
1: What, what everybody agrees is that, right, OK, Toyota is the only one who've got their car running at the moment. click and House aren't too far behind, but they're on a slightly, both of those two are on a slightly different time scale. Peugeot, Audi and Porsche all looking at 2023. Um, and as far as Audi and Porsche are concerned, it's the start of 2023 on the track of the Rolex 24 at... That's not a long way away, as I said to all of our guests on this show, Andrew. When can we expect them to start making decisions on chassis manufacturers? And when do we think we'll start hearing things from the engine departments? But obviously, the chassis has to come first. As as Pascal said, we need to decide who our partner is.
0: Well, yeah, and don't forget, we've got um, Multimatic are designing a car on their own. This time, the the last one was designed by Riley and then adapted or or developed by um, Multimatic. Uh, This one, they're doing it on their own. Orica is building um, its own car. They're spending a lot of time in the development stage, writing or designing the cars while the rules are being written. So they're going to be competitive. Uh, Delara, you can never discount either. Uh, Ligier is the only one that's a bit quiet at the moment, but I'm sure they're going to come up with something that is competitive. Um, So they all have to put their cards on the table quite early on. And they've all been designing furiously over the last six, eight, ten months, really. Um, And then the manufacturers can pick the best of them. Um, And that's kind of where they are at the moment. Nobody can make a decision until you know which one is going to be best. To be honest, if you're a manufacturer, then you buy all of them, you run them to the ground, and you see which one is the best suited to your needs, and then you wow. make the decision after that. So uh, it could be as late as when the cars are built and running uh, in LMP2 guys that the manufacturers will then make a decision based on uh, you know cars that they've bought, tested, and, and perfected as best
1: as they can. Um, so are you suggesting that we time might time? we might not hear from Audi, let's say, about which chassis they've done until after a quasi-works team has run each of the chassis in testing or possibly even in a race?
0: No, I think you, you wait for the car to be ready to run and then you take it. The P2 car.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The P2 car as much as you possibly can and you see how far... You can take it. You have to make a decision at one point. You have to say, well, there's more development potential in this one rather than that one. Therefore, we go here. Um, or maybe the weight distribution is better or maybe just the relationship is better. There's a number of factors that come into making the decision, but uh, they're not going to make it early and they're not going to do it off paper. They will probably do it once the cars are running. And so it's up to the manufacturers, uh, the four chassis manufacturers, to build their cars and stick them on track. The manufacturers, that, or the engine and engine, and, uh, uh, Aero manufacturers will then buy them, test them, and make the decision based wow. on that. You can't afford to get this wrong.
1: No, you really can't. Uh, we'll keep an eye very carefully on the pages of Race Car Engineering. I suspect that the next couple of issues are going to be jam packed uh, with details about this as they trickle out. Andrew Cotton, thank you for joining us on this Midweight Motorsports special.
0: Thank you, and happy Christmas to you and all the team. Thanks for a great year.
1: And all that remains for me to do is to thank all of our guests and the PRs and other team members for helping us get this prototype panel together and wish you all the very best. Stay tuned for the Formula One 2020 review. Nick Damon, Joe Bradley joining in as we go through team by team and driver by driver. Bye bye.